Hello, and welcome to the Timeline of Classics podcast. I'm your host, Gail Ledbetter, the author of Timeline of Classics, historical context for the good and great books. It's my goal to help you to fall in love with literature, connect with history, and be able to teach the good and great books. So, classroom teachers, classical educators, and teaching parents with kiddos snuggled on the sofa, this is for you. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, there are 850,000 volumes in the Imperial Library at Paris. If a man were to read industriously from dawn to dark for 60 years, he would die in the first alcove. Well, (laughs) that is certainly not necessary. Um, Let us help you wade through those countless stacks and stacks at the library. Timeline of Classics was created to help you make sense of world history through the literature of the ages. Getting a literary education is easier than you might think. So stick around. If you haven't already done so, please head over to iTunes and subscribe to the Timeline of Classics podcast. Let's get started with today's episode. It's my great, great privilege to welcome today's guest. He's a professional storyteller, historian, author, voice artist, teacher, entertainer, conference speaker, and, well, I'm sure I left something out of that award-winning resume. His golden voice has graced the rooms of our home and the speakers of our van over the many years that we spent raising each of our four kids. I could not be more grateful for the lifetime of memories through story that he's given to my kids and me. Would you please join me in welcoming Jim Weiss. Good morning, Jim. How are you today? I am doing great, Gail. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for asking me to uh, to join you here today. Well, thank you um, for uh, being available. Um, I know that uh, in, in as my kids were growing up, um, of course, they're all grown now, but uh, in, in their early formative years, uh, they definitely heard your golden voice um, throughout their childhood and up into, of course, their adulthood. Um, we uh, had the great privilege of seeing you uh, in person uh, a couple of times, uh, one of which they definitely remember was a uh, presentation that you did at the Greensboro Historical Museum uh, here in North Carolina where we live. Um, This museum had a, um, uh, they had relics from the Queen Anne's Revenge. (laughs) So, So yes, so you were there doing Pirate Night, I believe. We should explain to people who don't know what the Queen Anne's Revenge was. Yes. Would you uh, like correct to... me if I'm wrong, but this was this was the ship of Edward Teach, aka Blackbeard. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, and they had they had retrieved some artifacts from Blackbeard's 
pirate ship and they had a special display and they asked me to come down and do some uh, stories, tell some stories um, about pirates. So I did. I talked, uh, I talked about Sir Francis Drake, as I recall, and, uh, yes. and various others. There's some uh, great stories I have still not gotten to about true stories of, of pirates. Um, I, I'll recommend wow. that you all look one up. <laughs> yes. And this is one I've never told. It's a story of a man named who was known by the nickname of Red Legs Greaves, G-R-E-A-V-E-S. And he was a wow. pirate in the Caribbean. And the most famous, the reason that he's particularly famous was not only that he actually treated his guests uh, hospitably, as opposed to Blackbird and some of the others, but when he finally got caught, he was in prison on, a, on an island, one of the islands in the Caribbean, waiting for, probably to be hanged. And there was a massive earthquake, and the jail fell apart, and he escaped. No. <laughs> True story. Oh, and he no. Was never caught, and he was never caught again. And in fact, he took his ill-gotten gains to another island, bought himself a huge estate, and uh, lived peacefully, giving philanthropically to charities on the island for the rest of his life where he was much beloved despite the fact that everybody knew that he had been a, a pirate captain earlier on oh my i love finding these stories you know oh, they're, they're so much fun to just dig up oh my well no wonder uh jim that you are such a great storyteller because you're you are not only that but you're a historian and um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, just spend a couple of moments uh, talking uh, about maybe who, who you are, what you do exactly, because I know my family, you know, may be just a little bit limited into our knowledge of what you do. Um, I actually, I was looking on the shelf for another resource for us to use today, and I found... Mm -hmm the pirate map that you signed for one of my sons <laughs> it's oh, a wow. it was on that evening at the of pirate night and it's actually a map of the uh outer banks of north carolina you know out there the um, graveyard of the atlantic so you know so many pirate stories and shipwrecks out there but um so all that to say, you know, we just know you from, uh, you know, the live events we've seen you um, uh, present at. You know, we, of course, are huge fans of the story of the world, of course, you know, all of those wonderful, wonderful recordings. Um, but would you mind uh, telling our listeners who may not know who you are, uh, just give a, a brief uh, summary of what you do? I'm still defining it after all these years, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, I am a professional storyteller uh, and voice artist, recording artist, producer. Uh, you see me as a performer. Um, and uh, when, back in 1989, I was working in the business world in sales and marketing. And my wife, Randy, was a, a nationally award-winning teacher of high-risk middle school students Wow! and so we each had other things going on and I was increasingly unhappy to the point of I would almost use the word despair in terms of my life at that point I felt 
I was not using what I'd been given as a gift in a way that was really productive. I was, thank goodness, putting food on our table, mm-hmm. but I felt there was more. And I kind of looked around, and it took me years to figure this out. And I had um, some experience as a musician in recording studios, so I felt comfortable there. And I had told stories. I'd learned how to tell stories from my father and grandfather, and uh, I don't tell them the way they did, but I became motivated to love stories from their stories. And I came home one day and said to my wife, I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing for a living. And we had a long discussion, and at the end of the discussion was we started a company. And uh, the idea was that I would make recordings in which I would retell stories from classic literature or history mm-hmm. on a level that young listeners, whole families could listen to and really grasp the stories, in part because they were the stories I loved and I knew I could tell, but also because we both felt there was a whole generation either not getting the classics at all mm-hmm. or, getting, or getting what we have come to call the dreaded Hollywood version where they say, well, let's make a movie of the Three Musketeers um, and we'll write a new story. Or Hercules, and we'll write a new story. We'll just use the names of the characters. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, why? I mean, there's a reason that these stories are classics and they've lasted some of them for thousands of years. So Mm -hmm. I took a summer off and I made five recordings back to back. They were cassettes in those days. And we started selling them. We had very little money in those days and we put all of it into those first recordings. And wow. I switched, meanwhile, over to working for a not-for-profit, for a philanthropic organization, to bring in a paycheck, because we didn't know if anybody would want to buy these recordings. This was before the whole explosion of spoken word that has occurred. And we just kind of invented it as we went. And Randy turned out to have a natural marketing gene, which is <laughs> great. A great blessing. So we yes. worked together, and within a year of the day we had that first conversation, we had made back every penny, and we were in the black after one year with a new company. Oh my! And at the end of the at the end of the year, all five recordings had won major national awards, and wow. they were being distributed coast to coast, mostly in those days in independent bookstores. The homeschool community picked us up a few years later. And um, well, you now, know. I, yeah, oh, I, I was oh, just going to say, let me just finish this one sure, thing that I, sure. we've done now probably 60 plus recordings for our company and probably that many where I've read unabridged uh, books for other publishers through the years and everything we've ever published and many of those others have, have, have won major awards. We stopped counting when we hit 100 national and international awards. That's so incredible. they're out there all over the world now, and you know who knew this would happen? Right, right. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, you were mentioning the the timing of all this. I was just uh, just mm. thinking, you know, when really the homeschool movement kind of picked up and really started taking off. So you guys were pretty much on almost on the front end of that as well, weren't you? Yeah, we were, and they picked us up before we really knew much about homeschooling. And uh, you know, now even those people who weren't involved with it, um, <clears throat> excuse me, even those people who weren't involved with it know something about it, albeit it's not always accurate, but at least they've heard of it. It was very brand new then. 
and in some cases illegal in some cases illegal and 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 it's unfortunately still controversial with some people but um, but it's it's certainly proven itself in in terms of well I remember we we came to be friends at one point with a uh, a fellow who was working in the admissions office of one of the top universities and he said for a long time, those of us in the university admissions office, uh, offices around the country didn't know what to do with homeschoolers, mm-hmm. you know, how to judge their skills and so on, or whether they would have the social skills uh, that we thought came with, from being in a school. And now we're looking for these people because they're mo- so often exact models of the kind of people that we want to have in our university population. So mm-hmm. the, things have really changed, and we got in on it kind of, as you said, not directly at the beginning, but very shortly thereafter. And I've mm-hmm. spoken at homeschool conferences and groups all, all over the country and other countries. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say I, I, for one, and we are one family who are just so grateful that you, that you uh, got into that area because we, I mean, what we couldn't even begin to, to, uh, vocalize the the blessing that you have been uh in our kids and the inspiration of of you know of history uh learning history through literature i mean uh my heavens well if you don't mind um speak to that for just a second i was reading um through some of the information that was given to me um and it said that your your recordings and companion books offer a welcoming door into the world's greatest stories from literature and history. So I'm just curious um, if you would speak to that parent or teacher out there who, uh, like myself, uh, came up in a, a public school setting and I really had no earthly idea that you could actually learn history through classic literature. Uh, could you speak to that for just a second? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and, and again, just to repeat for a moment here, I, I recorded um, stories that are classic literature and stories that are direct, true stories from history. I do both. Mm-hmm. But... Um, on our website, jimweiss.com, and more to the point, on our publisher's website, welltrainedmind.com. You know, mm-hmm. Susan Weissbauer, who wrote The Story of the World, it's her website. Um, yes. There are um, chronological lists of my recordings showing when each one happened in history. And wow. what, what we try to do uh, is to encourage people to tie together the true stories of an era and the literary classics set in that era. The idea is that you, what, what you don't want to be doing, ideally, is, let's say, studying ancient Egyptian history while you're studying Cubist painting and Beethoven's music. Right. You know, ideally, you want to coordinate these things, and they all reinforce each other. And I'll give you an example. We were talking about um, the Sir Francis Drake recording mm-hmm. uh, a moment ago. That's one half of a recording, one of my history recordings, called The Queen's Pirate. Mm-hmm. The first half of which is The Life of Elizabeth I, which is an incredible dramatic story. Yes. And the second half, which, which ends up merging with it, is 
I think, the greatest true swashbuckling adventure that's ever been lived, the life of Sir Francis Drake, who yes. at various times is a pirate, it commands the second ship ever to sail around the world, and he goes all the way around the world without a map, mm. um, is second in command, saving England from the Spanish Armada. I mean, more adventures than you would think possible. And what I like to point out to people is, here's a recording about Elizabethan England, and, and by the way, Shakespeare is a, is a character in it. We see him yes. putting on one of his plays for the Queen. And ideally, while you're studying that era, you could also be studying some of Shakespeare's plays. You could, and I have three recordings of, of various plays by Shakespeare. Um, or you could be reading Mark Twain's famous fictional piece, The Prince and the Pauper. Mm -hmm. The prince in Mark Twain's fictional novel was the real Prince Edward, the son of Henry VIII, uh, the brother of Mary, of Mary Tudor and of Elizabeth I. So, and, and Mark Twain did eight years of research before he wrote his novel. So a wow. lot of the details are historically accurate. So here's an opportunity. You can either hand them the prince and the pauper and get him turned on to that story, and then say, now wait till you hear about Sir Francis Drake. This is one of those cases where the true story is at least as thrilling as, as as the fiction, or conversely, you could say, "Hey, we're we're studying Tudor England. Here is a book from America's greatest author, Mark Twain, set in Tudor England, and many of the characters are uh, real historical characters. So you're now reinforcing all of these things, and you're making it more exciting. Also, my wife um, was one of those people." whose idea of history was informed, misinformed, I guess I should say, in school by teachers who would just hand her a sheet of paper with a column of names mm -hmm. and a column of matching dates. Mm -hmm. And they would say, this is history, memorize this. Well, I could tell you that the Battle of Hastings happened in England in 1066. And if that's all I tell you, it's not really worth remembering. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean anything, and you won't retain it. And why should you? You know, except when, once the quiz is over, you know. But if I tell you the story of the Battle of Hastings, who was there, what they were fighting over, and what the results were, and I turn it into a story where you're caught up in what's going on with the characters and the importance of this event to them, you will remember the Battle of Hastings, and you'll understand what it was about and what there was to be learned from it. So that's why I like to to tell these stories and if it's a fictional piece I usually open with something about the author and how she or he came to write the the story or the book because I've had people come to me now I've been doing this almost 30 years and had people come up and say you know because of the recording you did on the great renaissance artists I'm now a professional sculptor or I'm a scientist wow. because of your science recording Galileo and the Stargazers Yes. And turn me on, you know, or I'm a writer because of all those crap you had about Mark Twain and Robert Louis Steen and all the others. And I thought, wow, if they can write a book, maybe I can write a book. And guess what, Mr. Weiss? I've had my second book just published. Mm. So you do, another reason to tell these stories and a variety of them is you never know what's going to turn on that cartoon light bulb over your daughter's or your son's head and where they suddenly go, Wow archaeology sounds fascinating or whatever it may be and um, 
you, you so you're one of a variety of stories and that cover a lot of ground um, and give can give people the the excitement that lies within every field of human endeavor if we can only unlock it wow well you you are certainly awesome at unlocking <laughs> unlocking those many many options for for a lifetime i mean for people who you know they they're brain maybe never would have considered you know uh, an area of study until they hear you uh, so that's that's amazing um, I will say you know you were saying your wife had the experience of you know rem- uh, memorize this sheet of dates and and people well that was in, in the, that was really kind of pointless as far as you know being um, of any use to you really um so i i was that same way um in my mind i had i learned a few dates here and there i had grown Mm. up listening to some of my great uncles who would come to visit my great grandmother on sunday afternoon i had one one uncle great uncle who was a, a wonderful uh storyteller as well and i remember being a little kid just kind of sitting in the corner you know quietly uh, but just to to listen to him talk um, he was a very quiet man uh, didn't have a lot to say but boy when he did speak you know you would uh, you could hear a pin drop you know <laughs> from him just telling stories from his lifetime you know but yeah. Um, but yeah so for me I didn't have any any sort of framework really in my head of when anything took place in history, um, and that was that just really, I you know here I am homeschooling four children and having no idea how I was gonna not pass on ignorance <laughs> to them. Um, well, well, f- first of all, let, let, let me just sure. address that for a second. Because yes. for, w- one of the things that you learn, especially as a homeschooling parent, is that there are you know there are gaps in your education. Yes. And sometimes you don't even know what they are. You, you, you feel like they're out there. But, and you're going to trip over one of them. In this next unit, you're going to study with your, with your child, but you're not even sure what it is. And the first thing is to take the pressure off of yourself because everybody, no matter how great a scholar, has those gaps. Yeah. Everybody. Will Rogers yeah. once said wonderfully, we are all ignorant on different subjects. <laughs> I love that. Yes. And, and nobody knows all of it. You know, I loved, you mentioned um, the story of the world, the four-volume um history for families that Susan Weisbauer wrote and the audio version of which I recorded yes. and I, one of the reasons I love it is because Susan uh, Susan's writing is so interesting uh, and was for me so easy to to read you know verbally not just on the page because um, she tie, she follows the thread through history or she'll say do you remember chapter three when the uh, Persians or the Assyrians were dealing with this now let's see how the Chinese dealt with something similar and she's giving you these great stories from history all around the world and she's following the developments so instead of getting a little isolated piece of history here and another unconnected piece over there it begins to make sense 
And one of the things, and, and, and I loved recording that. And by the way, Susan and I love working together because we back each other up. I mean, I just sent her off. I sent off to Well-Trained Mind two days ago, my, my latest recording, which mm-hmm. will be out next year, which is a recording of stories of great and fascinating people from the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And, I, and they always listen to them before we actually publish them. And once in a while, they'll find something and they'll say, you know what? We're not sure this is right, or or let's or maybe this isn't clear, and I'll go back and uh, and address it. When I was recording Story of the World for Susan, there were twelve or fifteen times when I either phoned or emailed her and said, "This is right." And she's a famous historian, but you know there's certain areas where I'm very knowledgeable, and uh, and we would check and see. And a lot, there were times I was correct and we would decide what I was going to record instead of what she had, and she would use those words the next time she did a print version. She would revise them. Mm. So it happens to everybody, and um, and that's not a bad thing. It's okay to be able to tell your child, I'm still learning too, and I love learning, so that learning isn't isn't something that ends in their in their consciousness they, they don't say oh well when you're grown up you stop being curious it's a lifelong passion and you're trying to light that flame in them and the example that you're still learning this stuff too i mean you just you obviously gail but any any adult is actually a wonderful thing it actually shows them oh yeah there's still more to learn and look mom or dad or grandma or grandpa whoever it is is still really turned on to the idea of learning more. You're, you're modeling that. Just the way it's good to have, even if you tell a story from literature or history, it's good to have the book nearby. Uh, you know this, because at the end of my own recordings, I always say, now go get the book, the story which you just heard, at the library or the bookstore. Yes. I, I'm not trying to take the place of, of the book. I'm trying to get them turned on to it and send them off to either read the original and get the fullness of that or find something else by that author or something else that's said in that same era. Um, there's always somewhere else to go w- with the learning. Um, so I, I just want to raise that point. You know, Don't look at this as, gosh, I'm not perfect and I, and I don't know all this stuff. Look at it as an opportunity to inspire your kids. Well, absolutely. Um, I, uh, in my attempt to to kind of create some sort of of mental framework for myself for for history, um, I I began to assemble um, all because I, as I said, I have I have four children, yeah. and I was really seeking to uh, to study a period of history. Um, with all four of them at the same time, you know, so that we could we could engage and, and talk about, you mm-hmm. know, the Battle of Hastings or World War One or, um, you know, what what or Sir Francis Drake, you know, um, and so I I began uh, assembling a resource that I it, it turned into something and it was just something that I made for my kids and me. Um, it, it later uh, became timeline of classics historical context for the good and great books um but that was just that was my way of 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 
tr seeking to to find a way that we could connect all of the uh, contemporaries that we were that we were learning about you know mm -hmm. in a in a, any given period of history so we had started that that project long long ago um, and then later we found uh, your recordings we were found we found the story of the world um, and so it it was um, it was just natural because I had already inserted, you know, so many titles of of classic, you know, great classic literature in there. And when I found out what what you do, um, it was just natural. If you if you look through my resource, you will find yeah. your titles and your and a link. To, to your website, Great Hall Productions, and, and, you know, your recordings of, your storytelling recordings of so many of these just fantastic uh, literary masterpieces because, because uh, you know, I had, I had a high schooler, a middle schooler, an elementary child, and a toddler, and we were all wow. learning at the same time, so... Definitely, my kids um, grew up um, under your wing. <laughs> so, well, what, what you have created on behalf of other people is a phenom I think is a phenomenal and phenomenally valuable and interesting tool, and you, and you know that people can use, and, and they don't have to reinvent it because you've done such a marvelous job of it with with uh, the timeline of classics and. Um, and they can use that um, and or story of the world, but especially timeline of classics as as the sort of the skeleton of of the studies. And then you flesh it in, as you say, with additional muscle and, and, and bone and tendon kind, kind of with additional materials. But this is the thing that makes sense of it and ties all the pieces together. So I think what you've done is is tremendous. Uh, I do want to mention the Great Hall Productions, which is the company that my wife Randy and I started, is no longer what we what we do. Uh, well Trained Mind Press now handles our stuff. Or if people want, my author uh, website is jimweiss.com. So we haven't been publishing as Great Hall for these last <clears throat> about three years, mm -hmm. and. Um, so if they look for that, they'll uh, they'll want to look instead for it, either Well Trained Mind or jimweiss.com, and that'll that'll help them. But um, you and I started sort of in this with the same idea, although we were coming from different directions to it, and I love that. Right. But I certainly feel like I have just been in the presence of a truly great man. It's very obvious that Jim Weiss is quite a national treasure. I feel extremely honored to have been able to speak with him for episode 8. He is such an absolute joy to talk to and you can definitely tell his heart for teaching is very, very obvious. There's so much here that in our, just in our one conversation that I was able to actually create three episodes just from our one conversation. So, I mean, this has just been tremendous. Um, 
there's so much even uh, if you were to go to our website and check out the show notes from today there's just so much packed uh, in just a 30-minute conversation so please do head on over to timelineofclassics.com the home of timeline of classics historical context for the good and great books that's where you'll find all the other resources that Jim mentioned today uh, for episode 8. So uh, be sure to uh, come back for episode 9 and, ep- and actually episode 10. There's just so much, uh, so much rich uh, information and content that Jim shared just uh, in our one conversation. So if you haven't already done so, please stop by iTunes and be sure to subscribe to the Timeline of Classics podcast. That podcast is just one resource that we have created to help you and your students to fall in love with literature, connect with history, and be able to think deeply about the good and great books. In addition to the podcast, there's uh, the Chronological Index of Classic World Literature, um, also known as the Timeline of Classics book. We also have reader response journaling, and I've got actually another project that's currently under construction. I'm not at liberty to share right now, but you'll you'll hear about it soon because it's up and coming. So, again, thanks for joining me today for episode 8, and come on back for episode 9 and episode 10. And as always, thanks for listening.